Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? When I was a little kid in the trailer park, we had this friend of mine, right? I didn't know he was my cousin at first, but he just kind of showed up one day with the mail. And we were all surprised and confused. And, you know, as the Lord would intended, we took him as our own. And he lived with us throughout my days in the trailer park. And when I left for the army, he left for the French Foreign Legion, and no one saw my cousin Roscoe for 15 years. But thankfully, at the height of the pandemic, of the insanity, of the virus, and the riots, and the economic collapse, I saw Roscoe working at a Lowe's, slinging wood. And he's got something to say to you. He's got opinions and theories and facts in his head. Please understand that before we get started, the following should be only taken as entertainment purposes only and should not be misconstrued as professional financial advice should one be seeking professional financial advice it is recommended to seek counsel with a licensed financial professional take it away roscoe i was doing some yard work the other day and i was listening to some paranoid libertarian documentaries as one does and one of the things they were discussing about is how we went off of the gold standard it all started with this thing called the Bretwood conference i think it was in new hampshire or maine basically all of the nato powers or the un powers however you want to put it got together and they decided that everybody's currency was going to be pegged to the u.s dollar and then the dollar was going to be pegged to gold so what did everybody do to enforce that so that the U.S. dollar would have enough gold behind it, they shipped all of their gold to U.S. banks. That's my first problem. Does anybody still study Greece? Ancient Greece? There was, a, there was, this, there was this league called the League of Demos. I think it might was League of Demos, but what it was is it was an alliance of different powers around ancient Greece that was designed to just poop in Persians' pool. Because, fuck them, that's why. Apparently the Persians liked to just come over into Greece and say, this is our land now. And then Greece just went stab. So anyway, after the main war where they just kick Persia's teeth in, all the powers get together, except for Sparta, because Sparta, I'll get back to that one. Uh, they all get together and say, hey, let's form this alliance where we're all just band together to form, have like a protective league, almost like a NATO of the ancient Greece. <laughs> so originally, under the original terms of the alliance, you had to, you had to provide ships and troops for whenever Athens called on. They were the head of the alliance, and then everybody else had to provide ships and troops. But for the smaller players, the bit players, and, you know, the Francis, if you will, that was too much for them because, you know, ships are expensive. So they're like, hey, uh, so we can just give you cash instead. And uh, originally, and, there, and ever, Athens was like, sure, you could give us gold instead of troops. And initially, the treasury was supposed to be kept on the island of Deimos. But what do you think Athens did when they realized, oh, we have more guns than everybody? They kept it. They took the treasury off the island of Demos, all the gold that ancient Greece had, and they just brought it to Athens. And that's how we have the Parthenon now, fun fact. 
Parthenon's basically a big giant temple that was used as a welfare program for poor Athenians. It's also a natural wonder of the, or a great wonder of the world. So, you know, great tourist spot for modern Greece, and it's literally all they've got. That and olives. And I'm like, so you give up your national sovereignty when you give up your gold. You give up your ability to field your own troops and your own army. And I'm like, oh! That's why all of our NATO partners only have 5% of their GDP going to the military while we have 30. Because they gave us all of their gold. It makes so much sense now. So anyway, smash cut to the Nixon era. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're uh, spending way more money than we've actually got. We're going into, we're running into a pretty high deficit. I think we're at something like $260 billion at that point. And uh, so France said, as like, hey, I'm worried that you guys are printing dollars when you should, don't have the gold to cover it. So we're going to send our gunboat, one gunboat. <laughs> Their gold could fit in one gunboat. Yeah. But we should have sent them to a cash for gold store. It would have been easier on everybody. Anyway, so naturally Nixon says no. <laughs> and then he just signs an emergency order decoupling the dollar from the gold standard. Theoretically, temporarily, but I think that was just so he wouldn't cause a mass panic. About 1972. Don't quote me on the date. I was very sweaty when I was listening to this documentary. Um, playing up behind my shed. Yeah, it's high. I have poison ivy right now over most of my body. Apparently on August 7th of every year, because according to my medical records, that's the last time I had that. Uh, same thing. Just weeding a different part of the yard. Probably get poison ivy. Sometimes you get poison ivy. Don't even be a pussy about it. More temporary than re-enlisting, I suppose. So, $30 trillion later. Sorry. The national debt is at, not the deficit. The deficit's only a few trillion. It's only a few trillion. So smash cut to 30 to 40 trillion dollars later uh, over what we're making, and the entire system is just elaborately built on debt. And if people actually paid off their debt, or the government started paying off its debt, the entire economic system would completely crumble into the ground. I mean, it's a Ponzi scheme. We keep printing off money, borrowing that money uh, uh, from ourselves, essentially. Basically, I believe the Federal Reserve uh, adds a number of zeros onto a checking account. God, I wish I could do that. Oh, it'd be great. Man, I wish I could make my own money. And then the Federal Reserve borrows it from them in the form of bonds. And then what do you think we do with those bonds? No, no, we don't have the cash from that. We're broken in debt, remember? What we do is we maintain a negative trade balance so we have more cash flow going into third world crap holes like France or China, and then they buy the bonds back from us so we get that cash flow back in. We've designed a system where if the US dollar goes down, everyone's screwed. <laughs> we have a dead man switch on the entire world economy. This is the most high level superpower move ever. Now, the crazy libertarians, their take on this was that it's a method of control. They control us all through debt. They don't need your tax dollars because they've manipulated the entire global economy into just basically covering our dinner tab. I don't understand how the constant stupid wars fit into it, but I bet it does. There's gotta be a reason. So we have the entire global economy is basically on a dead man switch and if the u.s goes down we take everybody who's plugged in with us and everybody's plugged in with us you know who has a third of our debt china and you might think us owing them money means that we that we have to bend the knee to them no because if we say no we're not going to pay that back then a 10 trillion dollars which is not nothing for china just goes away they lose and that's that's the part of the fucked up thing about the global economy People owning you debts is considered an asset. That's why you're able to build derivatives off of them. That's what 2008 was. It wasn't just bad mortgages. It's that people piled those mortgages together, 
called it an asset and then sold insurance against that asset. I don't fully understand it. I don't claim to be a professional ec economist. I'm an amateur economist. I think everyone should be an amateur economist because, you know, you want to know why you're being fucked, right? <sighs> I mean, you know, not unless you just walk into a bar and take a bunch of molly intentionally, in which case, you know, you do you. I mean, if it makes you happy and everyone's an adult over the age of 18. Uh, so basically a derivative is where you take an asset and then you build a financial product around that asset and then you sell it. That's my very poor explanation of what it is. There's a guy named Patrick Boyle who has a lot of YouTube videos out there. He's a professional hedge fund trader, so he knows what he's talking about. And pretty hilarious Irishman, really. Very deadpan, very dry. You'd love him. And that's what caused the 2008 crisis, was people building derivatives around these mortgages, and then basically what you had is almost a 10 to 1 leverage against those mortgages. So it's like buying a house with only a 10% down or less on your mortgage, except instead of it being one guy going default on a loan for the tune of, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, it was something like 30 to $40 trillion market cap on the mortgage derivatives market in 2008. That's so much money, and all of it was built on a couple trillion dollars of largely bad debts. <laughs> Which is why, if you are not a professional investor, just buy an index fund or something in the blue chip stocks, okay? Oh, an index fund is basically where Vanguard, you know, says, hey, we're gonna take a million dollars and buy a hundred separate companies. We're going to take an index of the S&P 500, and we're going to group it all together, and they can't all fail at once, right? And that's mostly correct. So, on average, you're prob if you get a decent one, you're probably going to be making 8 to 10%, uh, 8 to 10% returns every year on it. So, oh, this, this, this podcast does not constitute professional uh, financial advice. For any sort of financial advice, contact an actual licensed fiduciary professional. Again... I don't know what I'm talking about on a professional level, kids. That's why I buy index funds, because I don't know what I'm doing. That's why I get so goddamn mad at these Wall Street bets assholes. They look at stuff like index funds and buying companies with cash flow as old man investing. Oh, Warren Buffett, the most prof most success wildly successful investor in the history of man as old man investing. And I'm like, okay, I've been on Wall Street bets. I know that maybe one in a thousand of you actually makes any money. Uh, statistically, 90% of you, the good ones, the ones who actually do this professionally for full time, I say professionally like I mean like someone who opens a cupcake stand that's only open on Sundays is a professional cupcake maker. You make less than minimum wage. You would make more returns going to the Dollar Tree and getting a job. Probably way more because now they're probably making 15 bucks an hour. And with health insurance. You know what health insurance is? It's gold. It's gold that companies give you so that you die less frequently because it's the most precious commodity. You can't make health insurance. Some people will tell you, oh, you can just buy a private policy. I'm not Warren Buffett. I can't afford a private policy. Neither can you because you have time to listen to podcasts. My first health insurance, oh, it was wonderful. It was on Amazon, so it was really expensive. But when the doctor said, I need to cut out your toenails, I paid less than $100. Now for $100 for me at the time was a lot of money, but I paid less than $100 for a medical procedure and I talked to a doctor for the first time since I was 14 and went to the emergency room. So that was exciting. Before I got health insurance, I was worried every time I got a little bit sick or I got hit by a car that I was gonna die. 
or I was going to be on food stamps, or I was going to need assisted living from the state, which is basically Auschwitz for the elderly. Uh, <laughs> buying simple, easy to understand things is the smartest thing you can do unless you're a professional hedge fund manager. Do you know what they have? Do you know what game they're playing? They're not buying with their gut. They're not on a beach doing 20 minutes worth of work, you know, making millions of dollars on deals. No. What they do is they go to fucking MIT, and then they say, hey, you're a particle physicist who predict does nothing but try to understand quantum probabilities. Do you want to make a, gra a model of the economy for us so we can use it to judge how to buy and sell things? And they're like, pay me a million dollars. You got it, bud. You're stacking your gut instinct against guys who do math for fun. <laughs> against quantum, against massive server stacks running probability and statistics analysis a million times faster than you will ever be able to do it. Some of you, less than a fraction of percent of people who actually try to day trade, uh, trade in derivatives, and now I'm getting a margin. No, that's a whole other separate thing. Were we talking about the gold standard? I lost my train of thought. I was on a good rant. Hate. Rage. So less than 1% of you might be able to make good money on the options trading, on Forex trading, which is just the same thing as trading inside the United States, only with foreign companies that you probably understand less than domestic American companies. And under less than 1% of you genuinely understand what makes these assets go up and down in value. The rest of you are mostly gambling. And lottery tickets are cheaper, especially if you're one of those dumbasses who trades on margin. For those of you who don't know what margin trading is, it's not where you try to make a marginal profit off of buying a stock at a dollar and then selling it at a dollar one and then pocking the penny. No, that's actually kind of smart if you can time it well. Most of you can't time it well, but it's... You know, it, it's a sensible strategy. It's not wrong. No, what that, what margin trading is, is where you take a couple hundred dollars or a couple grand or your mom's life savings in one case and then bet it all on, you know, Tesla, Tesla puts. It, 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 and then you put all of those eggs in one basket. So you have a product. So you have this financial product that's complicated. Options trading is complicated. That's why there's people who go to school just to learn how to options trade. And you're taking every shred of cash you have, and then you're doing a 10 to 1 or a 100 to 1 or sometimes more in, ter in, de in terms of debt. It's a leveraged debt. And then you end up beyond uh, broke. Guys, do literally anything else. All right? Don't do leveraged options trading. I'm not a financial, I'm not a professional investor, but any moron who thinks about it for more than 10 seconds can figure out that if you're not a professional investor, you probably shouldn't use complex derivatives in options trading. So yeah, index funds, pretty good. Uh, 401ks, also smart, if they, especially if your company kicks in any extra money for it. It's fantastic. It's the best way. I mean, you'll make like a 10, maybe 15% return on average, but, you know, that's the market. And the stock market's always going to go up, partially because of what we were talking about earlier, where the government just prints off all the money they need. Bash cut to trillions of dollars in debt later. 
see, you thought I was just on a tangent, right? No, no, it all circles back. It all comes together at the end. So, smash cut to trillions upon trillions of dollars in federal debt later, which is like cancer that's just infected the entire world and guaranteed we'll always be a country. So, that's cool. Um, so, we, we've, we've put trillions of dollars. We've just created trillions of dollars out of nothing, out of, out of the belief that the United States military will always be there to set, make sure the United States is a country. And if, you, if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, if they were just printing off all this money and it wasn't based on anything real, wouldn't we have, like, this massive inflation and in prices like they had in the Weimar Republic? We're not going into the Weimar Republic. I do have to leave at some point. And then you're saying to yourself, oh, well, I saw on the news that the CPI, which is, which is, is at 4%, which is, you know, high because last year it was at 2%. That's only 4%. That's not so bad. The CPI is a report released by the government, and they pick and choose what goes in there. And they have an enormous variety of bullshit excuses from what goes in there where. So, yes... Uh, the price of gas is up a dollar, which is bad. That's not that bad, right? I mean, you have a dollar, right? You know, the price of bread is up 50 cents a loaf. The price of milk is up. I don't even know because I don't drink milk, but I think it's up. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, it was a buck 25 a gallon. Now it's four bucks. They have taken out the increase in the price of assets. Now, what's an asset, right? What You're asking yourself, what's an asset? Food's not an asset, right? It is. It keeps you from dying. That's the most essential thing ever. But they took out the price of housing. They took out the increase in the co in the stock market. Because having to invest, having a little bit of understanding how to invest is the only guaranteed way you're not going to starve to death when you're an elderly person who can't work anymore. Because Social Security, that's going bankrupt. We don't have enough children running around to keep it flush. They take out the price of housing, the increase in the price of housing, which is up 15% year over year, despite the fact that we have a bunch of evictions that are coming down the pipeline. They took out the fact that we had the most profit, that we had the biggest boom in the stock market in recorded history, I believe. At the very least, very high, record high stock market during 2020, which makes me feel so great about all those Boeing bailout money packages that we provided. The price of education is up a hundredfold. I, it's up a hundredfold over the last 30 years. The price of healthcare is to the point where people would rather just take a cab to the hospital than take, get an ambulance. I mean, I would. <laughs> Not to mention student loans and just general education. We're, every, everything that keeps you from starving to death is pretty flat. It's at about 4%. And you're a peasant, right? First level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You only need the first level, right? You don't need security or hopes and dreams. You know, assets and a house to call your own that you're not in such tremendous debt for. If you have one problem, you're going to lose your home. And that's where this led. Yes. Yes, it has allowed us to fund so many things. None of them actually matter to 90% of the people. I don't know why we feel the need to just pile on, pile on, pile on, pile on debt, except for the fact that we feel like we have to in order to keep the system going. I wish that instead of unnecessary, probably unnecessary wars, I think that's fair to say, probably unnecessary wars that we, you know, had an infrastructure bill 20 years ago instead of now, as of this recording, um... But, you know, I'd rather go into trillion dollars worth of debt over, you know, making sure the roads don't destroy your cars because every, you know, 
Statistics have shown that for every dollar you put into infrastructure investments, you get $4 in increased, not, you know, concurrent, no, increased economic activity. So basically, for every dollar you spend, you make four. I'm not a mathematician. That sounds like a great deal. But, you know, it didn't become a serious problem. And by serious problem, I mean enough people are dying that's going to affect the outcome of elections now from piss poor infrastructure that they actually have to do something about it now. And notice, we've been at each other's throats for, for the last 10 years, but all 20 years, but all of a sudden we have this great bipartisan moment where we can come around on the infrastructure bill. Makes me wonder how much of what's going on is just theater. But anyway, so this is all about how getting off of the gold standard led to massive runaway inflation and essentially a giant Ponzi scheme where if we stop, the whole system falls apart. What were these crazed libertarians offering as a solution to the problem? Gold. Because they're libertarians. Of course it's gold, right? But they also went in on the same documentary into how the Federal Reserve and banking system is actually manipulating the cost of gold. What they do, since they have the majority of the gold minted on the planet, is they have it sitting in federal vaults, and then they loan out the gold to bullion banks, right? But they don't actually give the bullion banks the gold. So what they do is, in the, so when the bullion bank has this money, or they have this paper slip, which is what the old dollar used to be, a uh, paper slip that says this paper slip is good for one unit of gold. And then they make money off of loaning that out or selling that to somebody else, right? It's like a derivative. But what this does is it artificially inflates the amount of gold that is recorded on the or in the market because no one wants to actually transport thousand pound bricks of gold. So the gold is still in their vaults. I bet Fort Knox still has all the gold in it, but there's not enough gold to match what they've loaned out to bullion banks. I'd have to actually get in there and count it. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. We put a tank uh, division on top of Fort Knox for a reason. I wanted to work there so bad when I was a kid. I specifically wanted to go and be a tanker for exactly that reason. So in their view, people using gold to trade back and forth with each other is a threat to the fiat currency. Not just for the United States, for everybody who uses fiat currencies, because if we just start using real, actual gold that can't be printed off, well, then that fiat currency starts to lose any value it had, and then Zimbabwe. Or was it Tanzania? Whoever had the trillion-dollar note in circulation. So, their solution is for us to start using gold again. But they have been practicing for 50-some-odd years on how to manipulate the gold market to their advantage. It's just like the guys who want to use, like, complex derivatives trading and, you know, put options and these bullshit stock market trade things where you have multi-leverage buyouts to try and trade against people who do this with quantum computers. You're playing the game that was set forth. You're, you're, you're trying to play the, sa the game that they made. You're trying to play their game. What if you try to play with gold? They already, uh, they understand it. They've had... Governments have had 10,000 years to understand how gold works. They know how it works better than you do. Complex uh, put options and stuff like that, 
the hedge fund guys on Wall Street, no matter what you do, they have some sort of other derivative that they can hedge against the derivative that you're hedging against, so they still come out ahead. The house always wins. So what do you do? You don't gamble at the casino's place. You make your own casino. And that's where I get to Bitcoin. I know, this was all a giant plug for Bitcoin, wasn't it, kids? Here. Hear me out, though, okay? Hear me out. I'm not saying that you should go out and invest in Bitcoin. I'm not. What I'm saying is Bitcoin is poorly understood. Right now, the government doesn't know what to make of it, so they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to regulate it. The Chinese are trying to kill it for a reason. The American government is thinking that, oh, this might be a technological and economic advantage over the rest of the world, so why would we crush it? It's a new technology. We might be able to make some profit off of it. So they're not inclined to get rid of it yet. That's what I'm dealing with. The reason why I like Bitcoin is because I can turn on my gaming computer uh, when I'm at work or when I'm sleeping and say, hey, mine Ethereum for me or mine any cryptocurrency. It doesn't have to be Ethereum in Bitcoin. Those are the two best with probably the most stable values, but there's other ones out there that are fine. Don't go with shit coins. That's not a derogatory term. That's actually what the guys who make them call them because those are the ones that are only, those are the ones that are like Pokemon cards where you know, they're only valuable as long as they're popular, okay? Bitcoin, Ethereum, they both have an actual real-world use case, which is part of what makes them valuable. The other part of it is that they have more trust than any other one. They're all currencies. It's all built on what you have faith in and what in terms of its intrinsic value, okay? A, dollar, a gold coin will buy the same thing today what it bought 100 years ago. Uh, Bit Bitcoin's a little bit different because it's it's not a tangible object. It's not as understood as a gold coin and it's not a regulated market. So you tend to get the same up and down trends like every 10 years, every five to 10 years, you usually hear a big crash in Bitcoin and then it bounces back up higher to where it was before. That usually happens every four five years, I believe. And you actually used to get the same thing with the economy back before the Fed manipulated the economy. Basically, before uh, basically before FDR, uh, we used to have uh, really great boom times and then really horrible, like, one-year depressions. Like, really terrible. And then it would bounce back to fine next year. Bitcoin kind of works like that. We got away from that under, JF, uh, we, under FDR because it was to make the crashes less devastating for people. Now, Bitcoin still has these devastating, crushing crashes, and then it bounces up to twice at what it was before within the next year. Now, you know, some of you might not have graphics cards, and that's fine. Um, it's it's the it's the way that's what I'm doing to hedge against the inflation. Um, here's something that's way more understandable, easier, and possible for most people: get a house. I know what you're saying, Roscoe. Didn't you just go on a long rant about how our massive printing of the massive printing of money is using an inflated asset market as a heat sink for inflation? Yes, but don't play their game. Don't ever play their game. Play your own game. Set the term. Go after what you understand. Go after what you know. I can wrap my head around Bitcoin. You can probably wrap your head around owning land. It's the only thing that's inflation proof. And what I mean by that is not that it doesn't inflate, it keeps pace with how psychotically inflated the, the, or inflated the economy is. The biggest best thing you can do for your future is to get educated. I don't mean go to college. College is mostly a lie that we all agreed upon 30 years ago and it's starting to kill us all now. <laughs>
I want to apologize. Roscoe has actually fallen to the floor and has started to clutch his chest and his hand is twitching in a furious rage as he mumbles about the Marxist. So, 